may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. While you're turning, uh, let me just say that um, the video that you saw earlier is going to be available um, on social media. You'll be able to share that. And I know there's a lot of folks that have questions and things and been wondering uh, how things are going and what's going on. And we want to, Pastor and I wanted to take that opportunity to just address some of those things. And um, we're getting close the last couple months, and we don't want to be talking about it every single minute of, the, of every moment, so um, if you have some questions, go watch that again, or you can come and talk to us about it. But we're excited for the future of what God is doing, because what God is going to do is what God has done. God is a God that His work just keeps on going, and it doesn't matter which generation it is in, um, it is His work, it is His glory, it is His power that is necessary. And I want you to see that in this passage this morning. I'm going to read quickly through uh, the first verses of this chapter. I'm not going to read all the entire chapter. I want you to do this. I want you to come back later this afternoon, and I want you to read this chapter. I want you to see the whole story. But I'm going to begin reading this morning in verse 1. It came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command ye them saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night." Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. The children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan as the Lord spoke to Joshua according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Joshua will go on, and Joshua, in addition to this monument, Joshua will build another monument. He'll take 12 more stones, and he will place them while the waters are still parted in the Jordan, and where the place the, the priest's feet had stood, he will place 12 more stones. Now, as we think about monuments this morning, I'm uh, sometimes, especially you see the question that is asked of the children, what is the meaning of this? Uh, I've seen a lot of monuments and memorials in my time, and there's times where you wonder, what is the story? What is the meaning of this? You see some monuments like the, the World War II monument in Washington, D.C., and every detail has significance and meaning. On All the states are represented, and those that had a part in the war effort, the soldiers and the, those that worked in uh, plants and manufacturing and the farmers and all that had a part in winning the war, they're recognized in that, and every detail is important. Um, You go to Bedford, Virginia, and the D-Day memorial that's there that's representative of those who died specifically in the the storming of Normandy and the Bedford boys and the great story of that county and that region. Several years ago, we uh, took the boys up to um, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And if you've been to Gettysburg, you know that there are memorials everywhere. I mean, everywhere you look, there's 
anywhere somebody died or led a charge or actually stood, sneezed or something, there's a monument there to it. I remember we were driving around and we were going from place to place and None of y'all have ever had the great pleasure of going to battlefields with me. and so, um, I, I get my money's worth out of it. I'm going to go to every spot. So we were driving through some back roads to get to this one particular part of the battle that was not really that significant of a part of the battle, but I was determined that I was going to see it. And we passed by this yard, and of course there's monuments here and there's every place you go. And we passed by this yard, and the only way I can describe it, I don't know if they have, I, I don't know what they call it in Pennsylvania, but down here we call it a redneck yard. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Two or three lawn mowers parked out in the yard that don't run and a truck with a tree growing out of the hood. And, you know, that, it was just that kind of a yard. And right in the middle of it is this beautiful granite monument. And apparently at some point when, the, when one side was running or fleeing or something, somebody died, somebody important died at that point, and there was a monument. My first thought was, what on earth is a monument doing in this, in this location? A number of years ago, I was in New York, and I stopped by, uh, had, a, had a few moments. So what do you do if you've got a few extra moments? You, you go to a battlefield. And so I went to the battle, uh, battlefield, Saratoga battlefield. And there is a monument there that is a little unusual. It raises a question. There's no name on that monument, but it is to an individual. It is a monument that honors bravery in that battle, the hero of that battle, but his name is not on that monument. In fact, all that is on that monument is a boot. Did you notice the guy's boots up here this morning? Did you see those cowboy boots? Where's our guys that were just, that, that, didn't they do a great job? They can only sing that song with cowboy boots on. <laughs> Sorry, I had nothing to do with my sermon. I just thought about boots and they're See, if y'all knew where my mind was running while I'm preaching, y'all would just be amazed that anything coherent comes out at all. But on that monument, it's just one simple boot. There's a man in the Revolutionary War that was a hero of the American Army. He was one of the best generals that we had. He was wounded three times, twice in the same leg, and um, because of that, he was not able to actually engage in battle, but he was given a position holding and commanding one of the key forts along the Hudson River, West Point, what is today where West Point Military Academy is. His name was Benedict Arnold. Some of you who are of certain age will remember we learned about him in school, but he's known, if you think of treason and traitors in America, immediately the name Benedict Arnold comes to mind. But what many people don't know was is that he was a great hero and, in fact, was the hero of the Battle of Saratoga. And that's what that monument is to. He, of course, betrayed his country. He um, sold out for a few thousand pounds and a position in the British Army and went to serve and fought on the other side. Today we think of him as a traitor. So you see, every monument is not a good monument. In fact, uh, Arnold was leading some British soldiers in, through Virginia and into North Carolina, and he was riding along beside of a British officer. And he asked the officer, he said, what do you think will happen if the Americans capture me? And the British officer said, well, I suspect they will probably cut off your leg and bury it with honors, and then they'll hang the rest of you. <laughs> So on that monument, there is simply a boot, no name. What kind of monument are we leaving behind us? What kind of memorial? Our life, your life is a memorial. Your life is a monument and a testimony of what your life was. What will you leave behind? This monument 
is really for three groups of people. There is a part of the monument, a part of the memorial, that is for the people of Israel. They are the only ones that know that under the water of the Jordan, there are 12 stones stacked. They, nobody else sees it. No one asks any questions about that, perhaps, but they know that it's there. It is a reminder to them that on that spot, God did something amazing. And then there's the one on the bank, and he says twice in this chapter, when your children will come. And he's not just talking about their next generation children, but the children and generations to come. They'll see this monument, they'll see this memorial, and they'll say, what is this? What are these stones about? There's no inscription. There's no memorial plaque. What are these stones here for? And so it is a testimony to our children, to those who will come after us. But he'll also say in the last chapter, or the last verse of the chapter, rather, that this is so all the earth will know the fear of God and the power of God. These monuments in our lives are for that purpose. They are for us. They are for our children and our families and those that we influence, but they are also for the world around us. What kind of monument is this? And as we pray and prepare for revival, let me ask you to ask yourself this question. What kind of monument will I leave behind? What kind of memorial? What is the testimony of my life? This monument that they leave behind, first of all, is a memorial of the deliverance of faith. The deliverance of faith. This crossing of the Jordan is more than just a practical getting them from one side of the river to the other side. It is the completion of God's work in delivering them out of Egypt. This is their, this is their salvation. Now, I'm not suggesting that it takes us 40 years to get saved, but there's some process that goes through as God brings them out of Egypt. You see, it took about 40 days if you take the time for the various plagues, not the in-between time, but it took 40 days for God to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years for God to get Egypt out of Israel. They'd been there for 400 years, and it had soaked into them, the mentality, the thinking, it had soaked into them, and God had to work that out of them, and this is the completion of what they had done. This was their salvation. This was their deliverance. They are finally freed from Egypt and entering into the land of Canaan. This is the land that God had promised way back when they were in Egypt, and God brings them out. Do you have a testimony in your life? Do you have a monument of salvation? Has there been a time when you have, when you have fervently and you have, you have sincerely confessed of your sin to God and you have prayed and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you publicly professed your faith? Is there a monument of salvation? Is there a time in your life when you can look back and you can say, that's, that's when I trusted Christ. I know that I know that I know because I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There's that moment in your life or that time in your life when you profess your faith in Christ. Do you have a monument of salvation? I'm not saying you remember the date that you joined the church. I've had people tell me many times, oh, I remember when I went forward and got baptized, and baptism is wonderful. It's a great monument of what God has done in my heart, but it's not my salvation. It's simply a monument of what God has already done on the inside of me. Do you have a, is there a, a monument, is there a moment of salvation in your life? You can be a good person, 
You can do a lot of good deeds. Let me tell you what your children need to see. They need to know that you trusted Christ as your Savior. I have been with a number of you in the past weeks and months as loved ones have passed on, and I have seen the assurance and seen the peace that comes from a person that knows that that person who has passed has gone to be with the Lord. Can you testify that it makes a difference knowing where they are? that you know that they're with Jesus, that in the midst of your grief that they've gone, that you know where they, who they are with. That's that monument of salvation to know that they have trusted Christ as their Savior. There's another aspect of this monument. This is not only a monument to the deliverance of faith, but it's a monument to the obedience of faith. I won't take the time to go through this. As you read through this later, I want you to watch for, for a, a process here. We saw it a little bit in the verses that we read. God said to Joshua, Joshua, pick out 12 men, have them get 12 stones, and build a monument. And Joshua says to the people, and the people do what Joshua said. Not because it's what Joshua said, but because it's what God said. So the very presence of this monument is a monument of obedience. It's a monument that says what The people of Israel said in chapter 1, Joshua, we'll follow you as long as you follow God like Moses did. And Joshua's listening to God. God, what do you have for us to do? God says, I want you to build a, I want you to stack up 12 stones. And so God tells Joshua, Joshua tells the people, and they are both obeying. Joshua is obeying by communicating it to the people, and the people are obeying God, not Joshua. They're obeying God because they're doing what what is said to do. This is obedience. This is, the, this is the monument of coming to a place where we say, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to obey you. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what you want me to do. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. If we're saved this morning, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, then you have been born again unto good works. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. If we're saved, then we were saved to obey. We were saved to live like we are Christians. We all know those that profess with their mouth, but their walk doesn't match their talk. God, help us not to be those God, help us to be those that our obedience matches our profession. That what we say we are, we are. That we have obeyed. Let me tell you, this world needs to see a monument to obedience in God's people. They need to see something that is different. They need to see not just religious people, not just those who are good when it suits them, Not just those who will do right in the hopes of getting something in return that treat God like some kind of lucky rabbit's foot that I do all these things and good things are supposed to happen to me. Of course, you may have the wrong rabbit's foot. Just in case y'all didn't know that, you've got to have not just any rabbit's foot. It's got to be the back left foot of a rabbit that was killed in a graveyard. So some of y'all can just go throw your lucky rabbit's foot away. And we treat God like that. We're like the people of Israel when they went into battle and they said, if we take the ark of God with us, he's got to fight on our side. And they took the ark of God and the enemy fought harder and took the ark away from them. And we treat God like that. God, I'll do what's right as long as you repay me by letting nothing bad happen to me. 
or as long as you let good things happen to me, as long as you bless me with all these things. And the minute something bad happens, we say, well, God, why did you let that happen? Well, he has a purpose. He's going to work through it. But we don't treat God like if we do all these things. We have, a, we have a monument of obedience that says, if God says to do this, I will do it. It's not a monument to understanding. It's a monument to believing. It's a monument to faith. Parents, have you ever told your ch- children to do something that you didn't tell them why? But they were supposed to do it anyway? I remember times as a child that I got that profound answer from my dad. And y'all know what it is? Because I said so. And I used to hate that when I was a kid. But when I became a parent, I love that phrase. And I suspect there's times when God tells us to do something and we balk at it a little bit and God would say to us, because I said so. Because I'm God and you're not. It's a good reminder for us. It's a monument to obedience. God tells Joshua, Joshua obeys and tells the people and the people obey. Again, I I think of the, the brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Their life is a monument to obedience. Many of them, the faithfulness. May God find us as faithful. May we may God find us obedient in the monument of our life. We sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Isn't that enough? Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. We know so much about him, but do we really obey him? A third thing about this monument is that it's a it's a monument to the experience of faith. The experience of faith. This is where God does something in our life. Aren't you glad that when we talk about knowing God, we're not just talking about something that's up here. We're talking about something that's here. We're talking about something that we experience on a daily basis. When God answers our prayers or when God gives us uh, guidance or direction or when we spend time talking to Him. And look, when we're reading the Scriptures and so many of you got the prayer guides last week, and let me encourage you that if you didn't get one, get one today, and if you didn't start, well, I'm, I'm a week behind, it doesn't matter, start now, but when we're reading those, and we're reading the scriptures, that is God speaking to me, and when I'm praying, I'm not just performing some religious ritual, I'm talking to a real person, just like I'm speaking to you right now, it's real. And we experience that. But then there are also those times when God does something so extraordinary that you have to say, God did that. Oh, I'm so glad for the opportunity to look back on my life and see the things that God has done. To look back, and I can can see the memorial, I can see the monument of when I trusted Christ as my Savior. And I remember the time, the, I don't ever want to forget the time when God called me to preach. And I don't ever want to forget the time when God brought me to a place of absolute and complete surrender. And that's had to be repeated time and time again. But I remember what was happening. I remember where it was when God brought me to that place. And there's a memorial there because that's where I experienced God. And many of you have memorials. Maybe it's at a a revival meeting or maybe it's in personal devotions or maybe it's in a time of worship. But you remember that moment when you knew that God was present and God was at work in your life and you experienced something extraordinary. And I can remember the times. I was listening to some songs this week. We were riding down the road and Dylan was sharing some 
music, introducing me to some music and some songs that I didn't know, and I was sharing some older songs that, that he didn't know, and, and we were listening to this music, and as I was listening to the songs, I, I, the tears began to flow, not just because I remember those songs, but because I remember where I was when that song, God used that truth in that song to speak to me. I remember as we listened to one particular song, and I started crying because I remember another time riding down the road listening to that song. And the song talks about we step out into a river, and we are out of control, but he is in control. And we trust the river. We trust God. We trust him. And at that moment in my life, my life was out of control. There were things that were happening that were beyond my power and beyond my control and I had to just say God it's yours I'm going to trust you and I remember how that truth and that song spoke to me and there's a memorial there there's a monument there so every time I hear that that song becomes that reminder of what God was doing in my life and how God was speaking and that was not merely some songwriter's lyrics that spoke to me that was God speaking his truth to me through that song and it was his word and it was his truth and there's a memorial there in the monument. I don't want to forget that. I want to be reminded of how God worked in my life as a, as a teenager and the way God drew me to himself. And I began to experience more than just I know God because my parents have taught me about God. I began to embrace and I began to claim that as my own. And that moment was mine and that work that God was doing, it was an experience of God. And that's what we, that's what we need a memorial to, a reminder of. Let me tell you, I'm praying that in our days as we prepare for services of revival, that God will give us a monument moment, a moment when God will do something in your heart and in your life where, as Psalm 46.10 says, we know that He is God. That's what these monuments are for. It's a monument of the experience of faith. Is your life a monument of the faith life. Let me give you the last one very quickly. It's a monument to the endurance of faith. He says there's going to come a time, and I can just picture some young children maybe playing by the Jordan River, and they see this pile of stones. They know there's something unique and different about it because they're not just some stones lying around. There's a, a stack of stones. Mom, Dad, what are these stones here for? Well, a few generations ago, years ago, God brought our people to this river. And God did something amazing, son. He parted the waters and our whole nation was able to cross over on dry ground. And God brought us into this land of Canaan. And this is for generations. This is not just for one generation to tell the next. But here we're thinking of generations to go. Their father's telling them, each generation experiencing and knowing what God has done. Boy, I'm so thankful for a godly heritage. I'm thankful for not just a mom and dad that served God, but I'm thankful for generations before that. And I could go to places where there's really monuments of their salvation, of God's work in their life. I think of my grandfather, who in his early years was a 
well, today we would say alcoholic. He was a drunkard. He was a, he was a bootlegger. Drank his own product, and he and his brother pretty much drank themselves out of business until Jesus got a hold of him. God saved him, and he never touched another drop. He became a preacher of the gospel and served God faithfully for years. Several years ago, I stood in a gathering for my dad's celebrating 50 uh, years of 50 years of gospel ministry, and this lady came up to me, and she said, I remember your grandfather. He was my pastor 30 years ago. And I remember when he preached on, and she told some truth that he had preached on, and she said, there's hardly a week that goes by that something he said doesn't come back to my mind. You know what that is? That's a monument to generations before. This is the endurance of faith. This is our faith being passed on from one generation to next. 30 years, I'm doing good if I can remember what I said 30 minutes ago. Can I get an amen on that? Some of y'all the same way. 30 years and the impact that God had through his life and ministry. That's a monument of generations. And if the Lord does not return in the next generations, our faith carried on to the next, through the monument of our life. What monument are you building? What testimony of your life are you building that will be passed on to the next generation, that will be carried on to their children and their children? One generation shall speak of thy works to another. In that psalm, there's four generations. Our fathers have told us what happened to them, and we pass it on to their children so they can tell it to their children. That's the endurance of faith. This monument is a powerful monument. And every one of us is going to leave one behind. The question is, what will your monument be? What will your monument be? For some, it'll be a monument of wealth. You'll pass on or we'll pass on what we've accumulated. And it'll probably be spent within just a short time after we're gone. For some, it'll be a monument of reputation. Oh, I was known. People knew me. I had a reputation. I left behind a legacy of being well-known. There's a whole list of things. As I was studying this passage, I was reminded of a man that came to my dad or called my dad. He was a well-known businessman in the town that my dad pastored, and this was some probably close to 55 years, 50, 55 years ago. And I remember my dad telling this story, and I remember that this man specifically asked him to tell his story. He said, if it can help someone else, please share this account. My dad got the call one night. This man's wife said, can you please come to our house I'm afraid of what my husband might do. Our son, who was a senior in high school, had been drinking and driving, was in a car wreck and had been killed. She said, can you please come and talk to him? He's very disturbed, as you can imagine. So my dad went. He had, he had established a friendship with the man, even though he attended a different church. When he got there, um, the man, of course, was very distraught. Um, it was... One of the first things my dad noticed, the, the wife said, Pastor, would you like a cup of coffee? And she went and opened a cabinet, and there was a, a large bottle of liquor there. And the man said, I just don't understand where our son learned to drink. We taught him better than that. And my dad picked up the bottle, and he said, well, what about this? He said, oh, well, we didn't, we didn't drink in front of him. He told my dad, he said, I bought my son a ticket to hell. He said, I want you to tell this story wherever you go. I want you to remind people. 
He said, when my son was young, he said, I, I want you to know, preacher, that this was in the 60s. He said, I've got my son. I've, I had prepared for him to go to college. He said, I've got $25,000 in a bank account that is set aside to put him through college and establish him in whatever business endeavor he wants to go into. He said, I have spent my life pouring into my son. He said, every ball game my son ever played, I was there to watch. I never missed a ball game. He said, I would turn the business. He said, if I had to shut the doors to go in, he said, I was there for my son. He said, I taught my son how to hunt and fish. Every weekend when I'd get off from work, he said, we were in the woods hunting or we were on the lake fishing. He said, never missed a time with my boy. He said, we would drive by the church and we would see his friends and their families going into church. And when my son was young, he would say, Dad, when are you going to take me to church? And he said, I would always say, well, son, one of these weekends when it's not raining and we can't hunt or we can't fish or you don't have a ball game, we'll go to church then. But of course, he said, we didn't. He said, we never did. He said, when it was rainy, he said, we slept in. Eventually, he said, my son quit asking. He had no interest in God or the Bible or church or anything related to God. And he said, now my son is in hell tonight because of me. My dad didn't preach the funeral. He sang at the funeral. The pastor of the church this family attended preached the service. Six pallbearers carried the son out. Within a few days, the man, the father, was in the hospital. My dad went by to see him. As he was coming in, the man's pastor was coming out, and he said, um, Brother Cloud, if you would, please, please talk to him. He will not listen to me. If you can somehow get through to him, he said, I know you're his friend. Please, my dad went in and spoke of the gospel to him. He said, Pastor, it's too late. He said, I know all that's true. But he said, my son is in hell because of me, and I'm going to join him. My dad tried to talk him out of it, and again, he had recounted the same story again. He said, please tell other people this same story. One month to the day, the preacher preached the same story message by request of the family, preached the same message. My dad sang the same song, and the same six men that carried the son to the cemetery carried dad. If you were to ask what kind of monument did he leave behind, he left a gravestone behind. That's his monument. Now, I don't know what kind of monument I'm going to leave, but I'll tell you the one I want to leave. I want to leave a monument that's a monument salvation, that I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. If you've never done that, don't leave here this morning without knowing Jesus as your Savior. I want to leave a monument of obedience. Not just that I said I was a Christian, but that I was, an obedient, to, I was obedient to God. I want to leave a monument of a person and a dad who has experienced God who knows God and has trusted Him and has lived a life of faith. And I want to live a life that will cause the generations to come to seek after God. What was it about His life? What was it about His testimony? What was it about Him that was so different? He knew God and had experienced His glory. What kind of monument will you leave? moment when we have an invitation, you may need to come this morning and you may need to bring a stone and add it to that monument.
Maybe you need to have a monument moment this morning where God is speaking to you. Lord, there's something in my life that is not right and I need to make it right. Listen, it's never too late. Some of you may be feeling this morning, you've just felt this and you've, you've felt all oh, the errors that I've made, the mistakes that I've made, it's too late. It's never too late to start building this monument. It's never too late to start getting things right. It's never too late to follow after God and seek His glory. I want to invite you this morning to bring those stones and lay them at the altar and start building a monument to your faith. Father, I pray that you will speak to us. May it never be said of us, they said this, but they didn't know this. They said this, but they didn't live it. They, they talked so much about it, but they really didn't know Jesus. I pray that you will speak to hearts. May we respond as the Holy Spirit does the speaking.